Um, so good morning, everybody. Um, really lovely to be here. We're very excited. Um, my name is Michael Van Wert. I am a clinical trainer and research associate at the Center for Practice Transformation um, at the University of Minnesota. And here with me today is Jen. I'll let her do a quick introduction. Hello, everyone. It's nice to see all of you. Um, I'm also a clinical trainer and research associate at the center and work with Michael. Um, so um, we are going to speak with you today about how to support change and maintain recovery with behavioral tailoring. This is a good one. We're going to talk about what behavioral tailoring is, and we're going to describe its uses. Um, we're going to name the steps of behavioral tailoring. And then most importantly, we're going to try to apply behavioral tailoring to a client's needs. All right. Um, so just to kind of get us thinking a little bit, um, I'm wondering how many of you struggle with waking up in the morning <laughs> or maybe even how many of you struggled with waking up this morning, even in particular. I see at least a few folks nodding. Feel free if you want to um, type the little, you know, me into the chat um, box or if you want to type the raise hand thing, feel free to do that. Um, but I'm sure we've all probably been there before um, and we've probably also worked with somebody who's been there before um, in our professional lives. Um, and there's probably a lot of different reasons for that, right? I'm sure there have been times where our bodies are just so incredibly tired because of something we did the day before. Um, maybe it's because of some sort of thing we're going through. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's um, anxiety. Um, maybe we don't feel like getting up because we want to avoid something. Maybe we forgot to set our alarm clock. There might be a whole lot of different reasons, right? Um, I'm gonna show you a video and see if you think this would work for you. The ruggy is an alarm clock that's more like a bath mat. When your alarm goes off, it rings and rings and rings until you actually get out of bed and stand on the mat. By default, you have to stand on the ruggy for three seconds for it to turn off. But if you think you're the kind of person who's liable to, uh, you know, just roll back into bed and close your eyes again or scroll on your phone instead of actually getting up, you can use the Ruggies included software to increase the standing time to up to 30 seconds. And if you step off of it, the time resets. You can also upload an MP3 that will play after the alarm, though I'm not sure why you can't just change the alarm sound. And the Ruggie website has a bunch of, uh, inspiring affirmations to choose from. My personal favorite is, I acknowledge my own self-worth and my confidence is soaring. And there are some intentionally funny ones too, like the, uh, ready to kick some ass. Come on, you can do it, do it now and have a wonderful day. But realistically, I would definitely find a way around that one. I need something a little more unpredictable. So I don't know if if this is ingenious or just absolutely ridiculous. I'm not sure um, <laughs> which side I, I, I come down on. Um, but this is an example of behavioral tailoring. It's a silly one. Um, by the way, I think you can actually buy this thing, um, the Ruggie. But this is, this is what we're going to talk about today. Um, so what is behavioral tailoring, right? It's a strategy to try to change a behavior. In this case, right, it was getting out of bed. Um, and how do we do that? Well, we're trying to adjust something in the environment or a routine that a person does to try to cue and direct that behavior change. In the case of that video, um, there's this device, right? It's basically a souped up alarm clock you know, carpet thing, <laughs> mat um, that you stand on, and it basically annoys you into getting up out of bed, right? So that's that device is helping to cue you to get out of bed. And why would we do this? Um, well, so we mentioned earlier that there might be a lot of different barriers to doing a behavior, right? Um, we think of it as sort of compensating for these behaviors. So if we break it down a little bit further, um, there might be cognitive barriers to doing a, a behavior. Um, those might be forgetting to, to you know, not being able to remember to do something, or maybe our attention is all over the place such that we're distracted, right? Um, I forgot to set my alarm clock. 
right? Um, connected to that idea is emotional barriers, right? So if I am dealing with incredibly um, severe anxiety, um, then that changes what I remember to do and what I don't remember to do, right? Among other things. Maybe there are physical barriers, right? Maybe I have so little energy that I can't even move or it feels like a chore to move or I have chronic pain and literally like rolling over is a barrier to doing something, right? Maybe there are motivational barriers. Maybe I don't believe that getting up out of bed is something that is important for me to do. Um, and we shouldn't forget environmental barriers too, right? We all live in a space, in environments. And maybe it's the case that I live with 10 other people and I have a bedroom that I share with five other people. And it becomes incredibly hard to actually sleep when there are five people around. And by the time I get to sleep, it's really hard to wake up, right? So we can't forget about those environmental pieces too. Doing behavioral tailoring can help a client make progress towards their recovery goals. What do we mean by that? Um, a recovery goal is, of course, the client's um, imagination of what they want for themselves in their life, right? It's their life worth living. It's, it's the thing that gives them meaning in life. So let's say that I want to have a job and contribute to society so I feel like a useful human being. Well, in order to feel like a useful human being, I have to be able to hold down a job. And in order to hold down a job, I have to be able to show up to the job reliably. And in order to show up to a job reliably, I have to be able to get out of bed, right? So something that seems very small can set off a nice chain that leads to these bigger recovery goals. Um, it can help to increase engagement in broader activities that promote well-being. So we'll talk a little bit more about this later. But um, you know, I want to exercise more. I want to eat more healthily. Right? These are all going to impact other um, other types of behaviors that might also lead to well-being. And then lastly, it can help with independence and self-confidence. Um, I'm sure most of you have worked with folks that are very dependent and they don't feel good about that. And it can be a real empowering thing to help somebody to do something more independently. It changes how they think of themselves. So to kind of further reinforce that idea, most of you or many of you may be familiar with the cognitive behavioral model. Um, and just very briefly, this is the idea that what we do or behaviors are connected to what we think about or thoughts, which are also connected to how we feel or emotions, right? And when we're doing behavioral tailoring, we're trying to target behaviors, right? That is the target in this case. So let's imagine with the example of getting out of bed, if I don't get out of bed, if I fail to get up in the morning, what might that mean? Well, I miss appointments. I miss getting to my job. And then what do I think about myself as a result of that? Well, I might start to think I'm a failure, right? I can't do anything right. How do I feel about myself as a result of that? Well, I feel pretty angry at myself. I might feel pretty sad. I might feel all sorts of not so great emotions. That then circles back around. How, what does that do to behaviors? Well, if I'm a failure, what's the point of trying to get up again? And so you can quickly get into those spirals. Flip side, if I could get out of bed and make it to my job, I might start to think of myself as somebody who is reliable, that is dependable. How might I feel about myself? Well, I might feel pretty good, right? I, I feel confident. I feel like I'm contributing. And then that might give me some inertia or momentum to keep waking up, right? So we can very quickly see how targeting behaviors can set off those nice chain reactions to help people with their thoughts and their emotions. There is empirical evidence for behavioral tailoring. Um, I'll just kind of give you a brief summary of it. Um, so most of the data, most of the studies um, on behavioral tailoring have been done with medication adherence. Um, about 20 to 60% of folks living with serious mental illness um, have struggled with taking meds. Um, that's a pretty high percentage. And um, we know what's at stake, right? Um, for folks that truly need medications, it decreases quality of life. People end up in the hospital. Um, it impacts relationships. It impacts communities. It impacts the person living with it, right? So, um, you know, there, there is a lot at stake often when people don't take their meds. 
Um, and what do we know about what helps with medication adherence? This is a really, really hard one. And I'm sure many of you probably have had experiences with this before. Um, you know, you, you, you might even get frustrated with your client. Like, I just wish they would take their, you know, their medication because that would make their lives so much easier. It's easy to get frustrated because we want the best for them. Um, what we know from the literature is that psychoeducation alone isn't enough to make people, um, you know, adherent to their meds. When I say psychoeducation, sitting down with them and just talking through, this is why meds are important. This is how they could help you. This is how they work. It's a very kind of heady thing. It's a very kind of rational thing, which unfortunately doesn't always go the distance. That's not to say that, that psychoeducation, perhaps with other um, interventions, isn't helpful, but alone it's not enough. Um, similarly, cognitive approaches, um, things like motivational interviewing alone is not enough. Um, so then comes in behavioral tailoring, and I'm going to break it down um, and illustrate it a little bit further in a second. But these might be things like um, sending people into the home to support a client with certain behavioral changes related to meds. Um, it might be reminders, setting up little signs or alarms. Um, in our 21st century kind of um, landscape, there might be mobile apps that people are willing to use and able to use. Um, so there's a growing body of literature on um, behavioral tailoring. Um, just a point to mention, um, if somebody is having trouble, if the reason why they're not taking their meds is due to sort of more cognitive reasons, right? Um, they, they can't remember to do it uh, or they're too distracted. Behavioral tailoring can be a really great um, intervention to kind of think about. If somebody is, um, we could call that first group kind of unintentional reasons. Um, if somebody is sort of not thinking that there's utility to taking meds, um, we, we're going to probably need some motivational interviewing. We're going to probably need to sort of help them understand what are the pros and the cons of, of taking your meds versus not taking your, your meds. Um, there is a place for these other interventions, um, but it's really important to kind of think about what those reasons are that they're engaging in a behavior or not engaging in a behavior. Um, just to kind of illustrate it a little bit further, um, these are some of the interventions in the studies that have been done on medication adherence. Um, we'll kind of break them down into two um, broad categories, non-technology-based strategies and technology-based strategies. We'll start on the left with the non-technology-based ones. So some studies and, and a lot, actually quite a few of the studies have sent in an in-home provider to help people with a variety of different tasks related to meds. Um, so they might help them set up pill organizers, pill boxes. They might help them set up these signs around their house that actually cue them in to remember to take your meds. Um, they might have missed dose alarms set up on their phone. Um, activity checklists, literally a piece of paper that you can kind of check off, you know, not only just meds, but did you take a shower today? Did you brush your teeth if, if that's needed? Um, there are other interventions related to pharmacies mailing um, refill reminders. Some of these studies might be a little old, um, but they did an intervention where they mailed out reminders. Did you pick up your meds? Did you take your meds? Um, telephone call reminders. So not necessarily the pharmacy, but a nurse from an organization might call up the client and sort of just just check in. How is, how's your med stuff going, right? Are you having any troubles? Have you taken meds in the morning, in the evening um, to kind of just keep it in the front of their mind. Um, there's some really interesting studies on financial incentives. Um, so there was a study where they offered people in one condition $22 per injection of an antipsychotic. Um, and so folks who were offered the money, um, were more likely to get their antipsychotic injection relative to the group that didn't get the money. Um, obviously it costs money. So that's one of the downsides of this. Um, there are specialized packaging. So some of you may have heard of bubble wrapping before where, you know, they put them in little bubbles that are labeled AM, PM. Um, you know, the pharmacy will do this and then deliver it to the, the person's house. Um, providing information to clinicians. So a lot of these interventions, if let's say that the person calls up to do a telephone reminder, assuming the client is okay with it, um, you know, the, the person who calls will then circle back around to the clinician to say, hey, you know, you just wanted to let you know your client um, didn't take their evening dose of meds on Thursday um, so that that clinician can support them, right? Um, on the right side, there are some technology-based strategies as well. So um, these are pretty interesting if you haven't seen them. There are both med boxes um, as well as medication bottles that have these devices put on them that do a, a variety of things. Um, they track things like, did the person open 
the bottle. They track how many pills are in the bottle. Um, they track often when the person took it, if the person had an error, some boxes that are fancy even cue them into taking it. You haven't taken your morning dose, right? Um, I think some of them have like an audio thing like that or it beeps kind of like an alarm. Um, there are these things called virtual conversational agents. So in one study, they gave people a laptop and on it was this kind of animated artificial intelligence thing that you could kind of have a conversation with, not really. So, you know, once a day, the, the clients who got these were to sit down and to type in how their, their med stuff was going. So they might say, I missed a few doses today. This is not going well. And then somehow the, the conversational agent would have an algorithm that would sort of then ask a follow-up question, like, have you told your provider or have you tried using a med box? So it would try to kind of problem solve and troubleshoot. Um, momentary assessments um, is sort of the idea that somebody gets like a device, a PDA, or they can do this on their phone now that you can do this with smartphones and text messages um, at different intervals at 2 p.m. and 6 p.m. Um, it vibrates and, and you give it some information. So it might ask you some prompts or questions. You know, how um, did you take your, your meds? How are you feeling? It might ask a whole bunch of other things too. How's your mood? And so again, the idea is that those prompts are helping the, the person to try to remember to think about their meds, right? Um, Something you may be thinking to yourself is, wow, these are all great, but um, what if I don't have access? What if my clients don't have access to these things? Um, you know, and that that's a reality, unfortunately, um, that, you know, we're working in environments where there aren't a lot of resources and we're doing the best that we can with what we have. Um, and so what hopefully you'll walk away with from the rest of this training is that, um, you know, sometimes behavioral tailoring doesn't have to be super complicated. It doesn't have to be like having these fancy devices. Those are great often if you have access to them. Um, but sometimes it's just adjusting something very subtle in a client's environment that can make a big difference. So hopefully we'll, we'll illustrate that a little bit. It, let's expand this out a little bit beyond uh, medication adherence. So um, we can use behavioral tailoring for maybe any behavior or almost any behavior. Um, I'm sure there's probably some exceptions, but let's imagine a scenario where someone struggles with hygiene, right? They really struggle with hand washing or showering. And the behavioral tailoring intervention might be as simple as placing a reminder on the mirror to use the sink, right? Or it might be placing um, a pump of hand sanitizer by the door where they can't avoid it, where their eyes are likely gonna look at it. Um, it just occurred to me that we have had this big forced behavioral tailoring, hand-washing thing with COVID um, on a macro scale where, I, I don't know about you guys, but I probably wash my hands and use hand sanitizer like 10 times more than I did prior to COVID. Um, so sometimes um, these unexpected giant things change our behaviors in mass. <laughs> um, housekeeping, somebody struggles with, you know, keeping their house clean. So they put a cleaning calendar on the fridge with a checklist that they can check off as they go through, you know, I clean to the floor, check or cross it out. Um, and now I got a vacuum. Um, nutrition, right? You could post a note somewhere regularly um, seen uh, that says drink three glasses of water. People often use their phones now, um, but you could be old school and sort of, again, put the reminder in a place that you can't avoid um, so that the person actually drinks the water, right? Or maybe they do a water log, right? If there's somebody that likes to write things down, then their sort of homework is to keep track of, okay, I, I, I just drank a glass of water, check, that was one. And then they, when they drink another glass of water, check, that's two. So it, again, it, it, it creates this sort of sense of mindfulness. It creates an intentionality to help people actually remember to do things. Um, exercise, you can, um, gosh, I mean, probably most of us have struggled to <laughs> to exercise regularly. That's one of the hardest ones. Um, you could put out exercise clothes in front of the door the night before. So you literally have to trip over them. Um, so you're, you're left with like, I guess either I put them on or I trip over it and go on with my day. Um, or, you know, maybe I even sleep in the clothes I would wear to the gym. So the idea there is if one of the steps is the, or one of the barriers is the effort, I've already removed putting on the clothes, which when we're not feeling well, if we're feeling depressed, any little ounce of energy is really hard to come by. So, you know, if, if I can do it ahead of time and not have to worry about it the next day, great. Or maybe I need to rely on other people. I make a date with a friend to create that sense of external accountability to go to the gym with somebody. So it's less, so even if I'm feeling like avoiding going to the gym, um, they're going to come and they're going to be like, we're going to the gym, right? So it might force me to go. 
Um, substance use, uh, we can use behavioral tailoring to remove cues to doing a behavior. So it's kind of the other side of the coin. So let's say that I'm struggling with alcohol use and you know, some of my triggers to using alcohol um, are things like having large wads of cash easily accessible for me to go use or having too much money in my bank account um, or ashtrays. Maybe I used to smoke when I would drink. So having them around is a visual trigger to actually doing the behavior. Um, or maybe when I walk home or I drive home, I go by the liquor store. And if I see the liquor store, I'm like, Ooh, I'm having cravings now. That's a little too easy for me to just walk right in there. So are there ways that I can remove those cues, right? Um, have somebody else help me manage my money, remove all ashtrays, map out an alt alternate route so that I don't pass by it and get tempted. Similarly with non-suicidal self-harm, maybe I feel really triggered to cut or to burn myself um, to try to cope with some internal emotions when I see razor blades or when I see cigarettes, right? So um, can I somehow get rid of my access or reduce my access to those things so that it's harder for me to engage in the behavior? Um, we could think far broader than this, but this is just sort of to illustrate a little bit of the, the breadth of how to use behavioral tailoring. Yeah, we have um, a great question or statement basically from a participant. Um, and they said, sometimes people haven't found an exercise they enjoy. They try to force themselves to do what they don't want to do. And that's funny. I mean, you think about that and, you know, we have ideas about what, what we should do. We should go to the gym and we should, you know, spend 45 minutes on the treadmill or we should go for a walk um, outside for half an hour, but it might not even be something that we want to do. That's such a good point. So connecting with what our clients really, really do like and what they do want to do is important. That's a great, great point. And thank you for that comment. Um, I'm not sure if you mentioned this too, Michael, on the slides, but when we think about the um, trans theoretical model of change or the stages of change that people are in, when they're in um, pre-contemplation stage of change or even contemplation stage of change, maybe they just don't see a need to set a timer to get out of bed at a certain time, or they don't see a need to exercise um, or even stop substance use altogether. Um, it's not, that's not a point in time where we're going to tell them what we think they should do, or we're going to use behavioral tailoring, right? Cause that could potentially harm the relationship, um, and damage the relationship. And maybe even they might withdraw from treatment. So, um, during those pre-contemplation and contemplation stages of change, we're really going to focus in on engagement and getting to know our clients and the people that we help and work with much better. Um, understand what they like and what brings them meaning. And then, you know, listen for that change talk when they are ready to make some change in a particular behavior. And that's when we can bring in the behavioral tailoring as um, something that can help them along the way. So thank you for that comment. That's good. Thank you for that. Yeah. This is a good segue. Um, so we're going to kind of lay out what those steps of behavioral tailoring are. And, and that first one, identifying the behavioral goal is, as Jen was saying, it's really important to follow your client's lead, um, to, to think about what they actually want to work on and what to, to change. Now, um, I just want to highlight that there may be some folks here that are working with folks that have been mandated to a certain setting where they're being told you need to change this or else there's going to be a consequence. That complicates things, right? And, and we know that it does. Um, that doesn't mean it's impossible to do behavioral tailoring because maybe that just shifts their motivation to an external source, right? We can be externally motivated to do something. It works a lot better, as Jen was alluding to, if the person is internally motivated and your relationship will be a lot better if the client feels like you are actually following their lead. Um, they're in the driver's seat, you're riding shotgun, they press the brakes, but you could say maybe you ought to slow down a little bit, right? I mean, you, you wanna sort of establish a, um, that sort of a relationship. So really briefly, um, the steps of behavioral change are you identify the goal, um, you then proceed to uh, explore the daily routine um, that they're currently doing, and that will help you to identify some barriers and facilitators. You then develop a strategy collaboratively together um, of what to change, right? This is the behavioral tailoring step. Um, if possible, you, it can be helpful to model the strategy for your client if they need it. 
um, then hopefully they can sort of do it experientially to kind of practice it. And then finally you develop a plan for them to go home and then do the thing that you talked about. We're gonna do a role play now to illustrate um, what this looks like. And then after that, we will kind of deconstruct the, these steps in a little bit more detail and um, talk about kind of what we did and how you can do it in different ways. All right. So um, the role play that we're going to do, um, Jen's going to be a provider, a helper um, who's working with me. I'll be the client. And um, the setting is I, I'm in, let's say, a day program. Um, right. And I'm having a hard time showing up on time. All right. So here we go. Um, we are in session and we just sat down. Um, Jen, I, I am so sorry. Um, about being late and missing, gosh, I wasn't here on Tuesday and Monday. Um, I, I'm, I feel terrible about it. I, I absolutely like can't do anything right. <laughs> um, I, I just, I overslept. It was like the hardest thing in the world for me to get out of bed. I, mm -hmm. I just, like, I, I couldn't do it. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. Um, I know that you have gone through some medication changes and that can be really tough when you have med changes and, you know, just changes in life too. Um, you know, it can be really tough to get out of bed at a certain time. Um, has it, has it been something that you've struggled with a lot lately or has it just been this past week? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely been this past week. I mean, I, I don't know that I've ever been great at it. I mean, there's probably been times that I've been better at it. Than, than maybe I have been today, but I'm just, I'm not good at, at getting out of bed when I'm feeling really depressed, which I'm, as you know, I'm like in the throes of it. So, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, it sounds like it might be some, I know that, you know, coming to group is important to you. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like it might be something that you want to work on. Does yeah, yeah, absolutely. I want to be here. I know, I know I need it. Um, you know, I, I actually like being around the other group members and I, I want to feel better. Um, I just, yeah, it, it's, it's such a chore to get out of bed. And I like, I feel like I wake up to like the alarm goes off. I have an alarm. It's right near my nightstand and it beeps at me and I hate it. Um, and I just, I slam it. I, I just, I turn it off and I go back to sleep, you know, and it probably goes off maybe three times and I just keep slamming it and going back to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so what does your current environment look like? How, how, how does a day like look for you? What does your room look like? What do mornings look like for you? Um, yeah, so I, my room, um, you can imagine it's not like a big room. Um, my bed is, um, you walk in through the door and probably right to the left is my bed. There's a little nightstand with a lamp on it. Um, I have a dresser that is probably across the room, um, probably from the foot of, of the bed. Um, there's a window there. Um, you know, it's, it's on, it's on a single floor. So, you know, like the kitchen is down the hall, there's a bathroom outside. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's a pretty normal room. Um, I, I don't share a room with anybody else. Um, and, you know, um, usually I, I just, I'll like brush my teeth outside in the, you know, bathroom. I'll walk down the hall. This is around like 10 o'clock and I'll get into bed. Um, my alarm is on, you know, I've set it months ago and it's sort of the same time every day that goes off. Um, I get into bed and I'm usually messing around on my phone for a little while before I fall asleep. Okay. Okay. And so do you use your phone as an alarm clock? I do. I use my phone as an alarm clock. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, so do you feel like it's a good idea to continue using your phone as an alarm clock? Um, I, I guess, I mean, I don't, I don't know what else I would use. Sure. Yeah. 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 Are there, is there anything that you think that you could do that would help you just to help get you more motivated to get up out of bed in the mornings? Um, I don't know. I mean, um, it's hard. Like I, you know, the, when, once I'm in bed, I feel like I'm a tree that is like rooted into the bed. <laughs> like, like my depression just weighs me down so much, you know, yeah. it, um, it's like, it's warm. It's so much easier to avoid the day just because I feel so crappy about myself and I don't want to, you know, avoidance is e so easy to do for me. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I used to like, I used to like drinking coffee. That was nice. You know, um, I mean, if there was like something I could do that would like annoy me enough to get out of bed, that would be great. But yeah. Yeah. 
What if you said you had a dresser on the opposite side of your room, correct? Yeah, right. Yeah. So what if you put your phone, like, you know, you left group today um, and you went home and did your usual stuff, um, got your, you know, ready for bed and did your usual nightly routine and then set the alarm on your phone or made sure that it was set and then put your phone on the dresser on the opposite side of the room. So when your alarm goes off, you have to get up and get out of bed to to get it. Yeah, I mean, that that sounds like a pretty good idea, um, right? So you're saying like, either I have to tolerate listening to my alarm <laughs> until I go more insane than I already feel, or I gotta get up and actually turn it off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's, I mean, it's, it's when you're dealing with depression, it's really tough sometimes to get out of bed. And, um, you know, sometimes people have success when they can change little, just even a tiny change in their environment in the mornings that will help them get them like on their feet and out of bed to shut off the alarm. And they're already out of bed. So, you know, we could just try it out and you could just see like how it goes tomorrow. And, you know, it might be just a tiny change that might help a little bit. Yeah, no, I, I'd be willing to try it. Yeah, anything that that might work. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. So, so what might it look like for you today to prepare to do that? Like, if you could just maybe we could just walk through the steps of um, when you leave group today and you go home, right? Like what that might look like. Yeah, um, I guess so. Um, I would I would go home. Um, and I guess I would do my normal routine, but the change would be, you said, putting, instead of putting my phone on the nightstand, I would put it on the dresser mm-hmm. across the, across the way. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think that that would be the, the real kicker is, is just remembering to just put it over on the dresser instead of on my, um, on my nightstand. Yeah. 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 Especially if you like to sit kind of on your phone when you're in bed and getting ready to go to bed. Um, it's going to take some effort. Yeah. To just, to get it to sitting on the dresser. So you'll get up to turn it off. I guess I I could try to do something else to replace what I would normally be doing on my phone. I could try to like read a magazine or something so that I will have something to focus on in in bed, um, before I fall asleep. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah. So, um, so getting home and I could just, I'll just walk through the steps of what this might look like leaving group today. I'm going to go home. I'm going to do my usual routine, maybe make a couple phone calls or whatever you need to do. And then as you're getting ready for bed, you're going to get a magazine out and you're going to put it maybe on your nightstand next to your bed. But do you think that that would be a good idea? Yeah. And then, um, so you'll have that to read and then you take your phone and you make sure you check your phone, go to the alarm, make sure that the alarm's set right for whatever time, what a time do you usually wake up 10 o'clock? Yeah. Um, yeah, sure. 10 o'clock. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, good. So 10 o'clock and then, and then set your phone kind of on your dresser and then walk back to bed and then we're going to hop into bed and we're going to look at a magazine and then slowly, hopefully just kind of get to sleep. Right. Yeah. And then the sense. next morning the alarm's going to go off and you're going to be like, Oh my gosh, it's not next to me. I'm gonna have to get up to get it. So you get up out of bed and you walk over to your phone and you shut it off. Right. And then maybe, you know, that might transition you to just kind of move towards the bathroom and brush your teeth and get ready for the day. Right. 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 What does that sound like? Does that sound like something that's feasible? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, I'm willing to give it a try. Um, I mean, you'll you'll see if I'm here tomorrow, I guess, on time. So you'll you'll know whether <laughs> whether it worked or not. So, yeah. yeah so I, I guess just so I can kind of commit it to my my own memory, I guess what what I, what you're saying is finish the program today, go home, um, take care of, I have a couple errands I have to run. Um, I got to call my insurance company, um, got to call my friend back and, um, then go about my day, but sort of make sure that I'm remembering to plan to change this thing at night. I got to get a magazine. Actually, you know what? I, I probably should stop by like a, a CVS or something and buy a magazine. Cause I don't know if I have one. Um, so I'll, I don't know. I'll, I'll go buy something there, um, before I get home and then I'll, I'll have it. Maybe I'll even put it by my nightstand, um, just so that it's already there. And that might also help me to remember, oh, we're doing this, this different thing. There's, there's something new there. Um, and then, right. My alarm's already set, right. It's been set on the time. Um, 
So I just gotta, I just gotta go ahead and put it on the the dresser and then get into bed and and hopefully fall asleep. Yeah, that sounds that, awesome. Did I miss yeah. anything? No, I mean that sounds great. Picking up a magazine would help a lot. Um, how do you feel? Maybe tomorrow we can check in. Yeah, I think that would be helpful. Um, yeah, maybe even if 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 I don't show up, if you're able to give me a quick call, that would that would be. <laughs> then we'll uh, know we need to to change yeah. a couple of things again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that would be helpful. Yeah. Good. Awesome. Thank you. Okay. Time. All right, guys. Um, so there, there's a little example of, of um, yeah, tailoring for this very difficult thing about getting out of bed. Um, so let's let's deconstruct it a little bit, um, and we'll refer back to that role play. Um, we've also put down another example um, just to kind of illustrate how you might operate on on different sort of behavioral issues. Um, the, the the parallel one here, um, just to kind of set it up for you, and then we'll go go into it. Um, you can imagine that you know Jen and I are still working together, and in the process of talking, maybe Jen finds out that I also am not taking my sleep meds. Like I'm having a hard time remembering to take my sleep meds. And that's another barrier to, you know, getting up, or maybe I take them too late. I remember. And then I take them at like one in the morning and then my body is overly sedated and then I can't get up. Right. So that that's another kind of thing that, that, we're going to kind of illustrate for you. So that first step is identifying the behavioral goal that the client wants to work on, right? It's what they want to change. Um, and um, as Jen was saying earlier, you're listening for that change talk, right? Um, we're listening for the client to say, I wish that I was able to do this, or I wish that I, this was different than it is. Um, the client might also say something like, you know, I'm having a hard time doing this. So we're listening for the, that client's expression of having difficulty doing a behavior. So they might say, you know, I've ha I'm having a hard time taking my evening meds and I'm frustrated with it. I don't know what to do. In the case of the role play, um, I came right in. I was already feeling some sounds like guilt and shame about like showing up late. And I was like, you know, I'm, I'm frustrated with myself. Right. So Jen was listening for that and jumped in and reflected back to me at one point. Like, it's, it sounds like this is something you want to work on. Right. She checked in with me about that. So we definitely, we don't want to rush through that. We want to make sure that we are actually working on something that our, our client wants to work on. Um, as clinicians, we can also reflect back to our clients, something we observe. So even if the client isn't bringing it up, it's okay to also, you know, um, so if, if maybe I came in late and I'm sitting with Jen and I don't bring up that I'm frustrated and Jen might say, you know, Hey, I just gently, I was just noticing that, that you've been late the last few days or you've missed a few days. Maybe I'm sure there's policies about this. So sometimes it feels a little bit more hardline than that, but we might approach it in a gentle way. And Jen might say, um, I'm wondering if you could tell me more about that. Um, what's, what's been going on. Um, and then that, that might lead the client into giving you more information about whether it's something that's bothering them or not, and whether it's something they want to work on. In the case of the, the med issue, um, I noticed that you still have evening pills in your box all blast. Like that, that would assume that Jen is checking my meds and that may not be something that you're doing as a clinician, but just hypothetically, could you tell me more about that? Or am I right that you've been having a hard time taking your meds based on, on what I can see? Right. So there's a lot of ways to approach that. Um, that second step is exploring the daily routine. This is pretty important. So um, we want to explore the daily routine and the environment that the client is operating in so we can identify those barriers and those facilitators to the behavioral change. So in our role play, um, you know, Jen asked some questions about um, what my environment looked like, um, also about what my typical kind of evening routine was. So, you know, you might ask something to the effect of, could you tell me what a typical day looks like for you step by step? That's very broad. You could sort of hone that in a little bit and say, could you tell me what a typical evening looks like? Or um, could you tell me what a typical moment of thinking about exercise, but not doing exercise looks like, right? So you're, you're kind of tailoring it to what the client wants to change. Um, tell me more about what happens when you're about to try to do whatever it is they're trying to do. Um, do you have a hunch about what gets in the way, right? Um, so you're starting to kind of assess what those barriers are and those facilitators. Um, so again, Jen asked me about my environment. I sort of talked about the structure of the environment. That can be a very simple but important thing to think about is the space, right? Um, what are literally the physical barriers <laughs> in the space to doing it? There may be other barriers, but that's a, that's a useful one. Um, but also the step-by-step the -step play um, playbook of, of what I do, because that can help Jen to figure out where to intervene. What are those moments of, of intervention? Um, 
in the example of the, the medications, could you tell me what a typical bedtime routine looks like for you? And maybe I say, well, I try to go to bed upstairs around 10 PM. I brush my teeth. I wash my face. I change clothes. I get into bed. I'm supposed to take my sleep meds right before bed, but I keep my med box in the kitchen downstairs and I usually forget them. And once I'm already comfortable, um, that's that basically. Right. So, um, we got a lot of information there about some of those barriers, right? There's there's an effort barrier. There is a possibly an attentional barrier, um, you know, or a memory barrier that could be playing out. Um, then once we've determined what those barriers are and we have a good understanding of the routine, we want to develop a strategy collaboratively with the client about um, what, what we can try. Right. Um, and again, it has to support the client's goal here. So if we think of different types of strategies, th these are sort of broad categories of strategies. Um, the first one that we're often doing with behavioral tailoring is removing or adding barriers. Now in the, um, in the role play that we did, um, what, what we ended up doing is we added barriers to feeling comfortable in bed by moving the alarm clock across the room, right? So I'm too, let's assume that like, you know, it's much easier to stay in bed and it's much more comfortable in bed. So we're creating this thing that's annoying enough to create discomfort about staying in bed, right? Um, you know, it could be that, um, you know, in, in retrospect, maybe I come back um, after doing that and I tell Jen, well, it didn't quite work. I think I need something else to kind of pull me out of bed. And so then maybe we talk, I mentioned that I really like coffee, right? Or I used to like coffee. And so then we get to talking and Jen's like, hmm, when's the last time you had coffee? And I said, I haven't had it in a long time because I haven't really enjoyed anything lately. Well, could you set up the coffee, um, you know, set the timer on the coffee to go off in the morning so that when you get up, you can smell it, right? So in that case, maybe I'm removing a barrier to feeling comfortable being awake, right? Because when I'm depressed and I don't want to get out of bed, there are barriers to feeling comfortable out of bed. So if I can add something that makes it feel more comfortable being out of bed, like delicious coffee, something that I will get as a reward um, that will make it a little bit better, then that can help to pull me out of bed as well. Um, independent versus involving others, that's something to think about. Um, you know, you, we, we ultimately want to help our clients become more independent because it, it usually makes us as humans feel better if we can do things independently. Um, having said that, you know, sometimes we need other people. Uh, well, as humans, we also need other people um, in general, but, but a lot of times our clients depend on other people and there may be limitations that they do rely on other people and that's okay. So when you're trying to design a tailoring strategy, do think about that parameter. Does, is the client ready to do something independently or do they need extra help as part of their, their tailoring strategy? Um, we mentioned this earlier, but technology versus non-technological, right? You don't need fancy technology to do behavioral tailoring. It can be a great help if you have access to it. Um, but as we illustrated, right, um, Jen checked in with me during the um, during the role play about whether I, I use a phone, right? Uh, obviously, you want to know that about your client. But also, she took an assessment of what I had at my disposal to be able to, you know, she's trying to not completely change my routine, but to try to change it slightly so that maybe it can still be easy enough for me to do it. Um, Great one is to use these um, these behavioral tailoring strategies to use uh, memory aids and using lists and writing things down. Um, we can do it old school by literally, I, I've had clients that um, they kind of joke about it. They put so many sticky notes around their house that they're just like, my, my, if someone came into my house, they, they, would, they would be terrified. Um, but if it helps them, then it helps them, right? Um, again, we, we use phones now a lot of the time to, to set off alarms. Although that's, that's something to think about too. If, if somebody gets so dependent on so many different alarms, it becomes overwhelming and we then dismiss alarms. So it has to be something that, that doesn't become um, too easily dismissible, right? Um, Another great one is linking a task to another activity, right? So if I could, um, you know, link the task that I'm trying to do, um, and I'll illustrate this in a second with the medication example we've been using, right? If I could somehow um, have the med taking for the evening be linked up to something I'm already doing naturally, like brushing my teeth, then that can be a great way to help people. Uh, if they're already pretty good at doing that other thing, maybe they can tag on the thing that they're trying to change, right? Um, 
Just a bigger point to be aware of is you want to be really sensitive to several things. You need to be sensitive to your client's lifestyle, socio-demographics, access to resources. We've already said some of that earlier, but this comes in getting to know your client and building that alliance. Um, you know, there, there may be certain great behavioral tailoring ideas that you have that might have worked for other people, but it just really doesn't fit in with the client's space. Um, right. And again, we, we unfortunately are working in non-ideal circumstances, probably to try to help our clients. I, I hope some of you feel like you have every resource at your disposal that you need. Um, and I, I hope that your clients feel the same, but I'm, I'm sure the answer is probably not. Um, so, so you really want to take some time. And this comes during that, that last phase of, of really understanding the person's routines and, and, um, you need to, you need to really help the client, offer up, um, you know, strategies that are going to be consistent with who they, who they are and their values and their culture and, um, their resources. Right. Um, so example with the meds, has there been a time in the past when you were more successful at taking your evening meds? Um, what helped, what might work now? Um, I've never been good at it. What if you put your medication by your toothbrush, right? Um, might seem weird, but again, you would want to spend time figuring out that the client can actually remember to do their teeth. Um, and then the client's like, okay, that would work. I, I have two pill boxes. I could leave my, you know, my morning meds downstairs and then my evening ones upstairs, right? All right, we're almost there. Um, so if you can model the strategy, great. Um, this will really be dependent on the space you're in and the skill you're trying to do. So again, Jen talked me through the steps. That was her way of modeling. If I'm in the client's house, if I'm somebody that goes out into the community and the client's comfortable with me being in their space and the change might be something that we could actually do together and the client gives me permission to kind of you know do it, to model it for them, great, do that. Um, but you can always just talk it through, or you can write down the steps if the client, you know, has, has that need, or if that's helpful. Um, would it be helpful if I show you how I would set it up, right? Client says, sure. You know, and then the clinician as Jen did, you know, she, she kind of walked through, um, what she would do. Okay. First I would fill your evening med box like this and your morning box like that. Then I would go up to the bathroom upstairs and put the evening box on the shelf next to the toothbrush, right? So, um, Jen kind of walked through what I was going to do after I left the, the program, um, you know, thought about considerations about the magazine, thought about what I would do, you know, um, in the evening, um, really step-by-step, step, play by play. Don't assume that it's obvious to the client. Um, behaviors are routines and routines um, come from being on autopilot a lot of the time. So in order to rock a or shake up a routine, we sometimes have to be very, very specific about what we're doing differently and at what point. Okay, lastly, um, well, not lastly, uh, almost lastly, um, you know, if the, if the client is willing to do it, um, you know, encourage the client to try to practice the strategy with you during the session. So again, if you're in their house, say, do, do you want to, do you want to try to do this? Um, you know, if in a session with Jen, you know, I, at one point she reviewed it and then I reviewed it back to her. Um, that's frankly, probably one of the most important parts is not that she can say it to me, but that I actually have internalized it. So whether that is through a behavior, if you can get them to actually do it, if you're in an office and you're talking about doing something at home, it may be less feasible, obviously, to do that. But in the absence of that, you can still have them kind of talk you through it, right? Um, in the example of the med issue, okay, now that you've seen me do it, would you like to try out the steps yourself and show me how you would do it? Um, it can be helpful to practice. And the client says, sure. So first I would do the following. This can be a great opportunity for your client to also reflect back to you if they would do it differently than what you had suggested. Um, so that happened during our role play. You know, I, I had remembered, oh, I don't have a magazine. So I guess I do need to go get us. There's another step, which is I got to go buy a magazine from the store. Or maybe I disagree with Jen and I'm like, oh, I feel really uncomfortable about something that you just mentioned. Then, you know, you want to check in with them about whether that feels good. Um, and then lastly, you want to develop a specific plan to practice the strategy between those sessions. So um, we want to be very specific with time and place. Um, you know, the more specific, the better. It's fine to be general, but um, I, again, the details are really important in helping to bring to life um, 
a behavior change that the client is struggling to do, right? It's imagine that it's, it's hard. The reason you're talking about this is because they're struggling to change a behavior. So, um, you know, it, the more you can kind of be concrete about it, the, the more likely you are probably to have them be successful with it. Um, you want to kind of balance this, this feeling of holding them accountable, but also still letting them drive. Um, right. So you are letting them choose what their strategies are. You're letting them sort of talk about what they're willing to do, what they're ready to do, what they feel comfortable doing. Um, and you're sort of going to check in with them. You're going to sort of say like, I, I, I would love to hear how it goes. Right. So, so Jen, um, Jen sort of said, can we check in about how it went? And I even said, can you give me a call if I don't show up, like, like sort of inviting her further to check in with me? Cause I'm aware that I'm struggling with this, right? Some clients may react differently. They may be like, oh gosh, they're checking in on me. Um, anticipate problems and coping, you know, discuss the client reservations. We already talked about that. You know, if the client's kind of like, this is going to be really hard. I'm going to have to amp myself up for this a little bit, then talk through what they can do. What coping strategies could they do to try to help? Like if, if you know, if I had said, I get really panicky at CVS, um, when I'm in public places and I'm going to have to go buy a magazine. Okay. Well now we've got another bit of a problem solving piece of work that we need to do together. Like what will help you to get through the line at CVS so you can get that magazine to then do the behavioral tailoring approach. I'm sure you all are not, um, this isn't foreign to you, right? You're juggling balls. You thought you were working on one thing and then all of a sudden we're working on something completely different. Right. Um, but important. Um, and then lastly, set that time to follow up, right? Be specific with them, make sure that they know that you're going to check in. Um, and at that time, be sure to praise attempts, right? If they did it and it was successful, awesome. Give them that positive reinforcement. If they did it and it wasn't successful or they did part of it, still give them that praise that they actually did it because they tried. And doing behavioral change is really hard, as you all know, probably. Um, do troubleshoot and be willing to modify strategies and adjust expectations. So if they come back and they're sort of like, that was a great idea. It's too much for me. Then maybe we need to scale it back a bit and we need to be willing to kind of go back to the drawing board and say, well, you know, was there a part that you feel like you could, you could do? Um, maybe we went too far. We, we sort of set up too many things that you were planning to do. We should just focus on one thing. So simplifying it. Um, or maybe the client's like, that wasn't enough. I'm going to need more than just that one strategy. So be willing to expand as well. All right, we are at 11.54. So we have a few minutes um, to just check in with all of you. If there are questions, comments, thoughts. Um, I'm thinking about those of you who are working on um, FSP teams. It might be something that you already do with the people that, yeah. Um, it, yeah, this might be something that is very familiar to you um, that you're doing regularly with with people in their homes and in the communities. We just wanna say thank you so much for attending today and participating. Um, thank you, Michael. Thanks to Elizabeth and everyone at UCLA for pulling things together. Thanks to everybody. Take yeah. care of us. All Take right. care.